I've developed a mission statement, which is, comes down to basically two words, create leaders. You know, have a vision, a mission statement. When you have that, then putting first things first is much, much easier. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. Guess what? We've got Dr. Dave Usum back. Dr. Dave Usum is our Hopkins Associate Dean for Professional Development, very beloved, famous professional development, faculty development mentor here at Hopkins, and a neuroradiologist. How you doing, Dave? Welcome back. It's good to be back. All right. So let's see. I think you said you wanted to talk about mission statements, and you're always big about Star Trek and mission-centric work. So lay it on us. What you got about missions? Well, I think it's incredibly important for even as a junior faculty that you start to focus on what your purpose is in your uh, career. Um, And I get this largely from Stephen Covey, who is a big proponent or was a big proponent for developing a mission statement. He said that it usually takes months to really hone your mission statement to something that you're comfortable with. And of course, a good mission statement is one that can go across different domains of your life. So one of Covey's, again, I'm a little bit of a Covey head, so if you don't mind, I'll quote him. Yeah. One of his, his statements that I always love is, um, live, love, learn, and leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. By live, he's talking about the physical environment, your health, you know, the, the concrete world, Love is sort of your emotional, spiritual world. Learn is is the intellectual world. And leaving a legacy is what you do out for community. So he says that the best mission statements are ones that are not just about you know one aspect of your life, but can transform across all aspects of your life. So over the course of time, my mission statement has changed. And he said that that's not unusual for in the space of a five to 10 year period for your mission statement to evolve. Currently, in the role that I play, both at the School of Medicine as well as in my department, I've developed a mission statement, which is, comes down to basically two words. And those two words are create leaders. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to most in my career is to create leaders. Mm-hmm. Now, across my different domains, I can say that the same is true. So with my children, I kind of emphasize that I want them to be the best at something in their life, whether it's at their home life or at work life, that they are the go-to person. You know, so in my family, it's like we're, we're, not, we're not striving for mediocrity. We're striving to be very good at something where we are the leaders. Similarly, uh, whether it's your church or mosque or synagogue or you, you probably want your in your religious life something that your your church mosque or synagogue is is well known for because they're the best at it. So that's sort of uh, creating that leadership. Similarly, even in the physical world, Kim, you're probably the best at those two hour workouts that you do at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> so getting really good at something um, is the essence of you know my idea of not just doing it you know, as a pastime, but trying to be really great at it. Having a mission statement gives you that focus, and it also gives you the the so-called elevator talk when, you know, yeah. when you're going up from the ground floor to the 12th floor, people say, well, what do you do? You know, you can really say something with conviction about 
what your purpose is. It's not just I'm a physician at Johns Hopkins. You know, I'm the associate dean for professional development. What I try to do is I try to create leaders among the Johns Hopkins faculty. Yeah, much more interesting, much more meaty to have a mission statement versus going into the long monologue about reiterating your CV. That's boring. You know, you want to really hook somebody and hook yourself by, um, that's why all the cor- the best corporations have all those marketing people coming up with these great brands and, and slogans. Tell me about, you come up with this, this mission and how does a faculty member, you know, evolve that mission or how do they get it to work or, or change it or advance it? Like how, how does that operationally work? I mean, you work with lots and lots of mentees and you probably help them craft a mission statement. And as you mentioned, that may change and you have to pivot and learn how to, um, change direction a little bit. But how do, how does that look? How does that operationally happen with your junior faculty members? Well, I don't try to impose a mission on a mentee or a junior faculty person. You have to wonder or ask them, what are they most passionate about? Because I think that working in an area that you have great interest in, great, you place at great value is going to be a more successful way of developing a mission statement rather than one where it's sort of, well, here, here's, here's what I think you should do. So um, it's a discussion, and it's a discussion over the course of time, and it's uh, in part related to interests. But it also may be that it's a assessment of where are the gaps of either knowledge or leadership in that specific topic that they are most passionate about. So um, let's say that you know they're, they really like MRI and they like MRI of the foot. Well, you know, part of it would be sort of an assessment of, okay, well, if you want to really discover something and make it, you know, your life's work, what is it about MRI of the foot that there aren't a lot of people working in it, that you can become the expert in it, et cetera. And, and it may be that you become the MRI of the fifth pinky toe uh, and be the world's expert at it. So if, if that's what you're passionate about. Yeah. So it's a it's a discussion with a mentor. It's also what you bring to the table. After, you know, most times um, the faculty are in their twenties or thirties as they join the faculty, and so they've sort of developed within their head what the area is that they are most interested in. You know, you're, you're getting me to think about something that when we work with faculty in the our, our grant writing groups and our specific game speed sessions. And something just popped into my head, and I wonder if you'll comment on it. This idea that when one writes a grant application, it is not enough to simply say that we propose to do this because no one's done it before. That you'll have faculty members who who will say, I've got this great idea, and well, why is it important? Well, it's important because no one's done it. And, you know, sometimes you think, well, maybe no one's done it because it's really not worth doing. So can you, can you comment? It just kind of, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it, but I mean, I'd have some ideas, but I'm curious what you think about that idea of like the fifth pinky toe or someone who, which makes so much sense to me that as a faculty member, you know, I would remember lamenting myself when I was young, like there's nothing left to discover. Everything cool has been discovered already. And what am I going to do? And, and so we look for opportunities that are unexplored, that no one has looked at this. 
So th- there's good and bad with that. It could be, yes, you want to find something that's unique, that you will excel, that you will be the world's expert in this thing. But what do you think about using that kind of as a crutch? Well, I have to find something that nobody's done or take this methodology or this tool set and apply it to a different area. Can you just riff on that a bit? Well, I don't think that you shoehorn a project into your mission, and I don't think that you shoehorn a mission into what is available for a project. Usually, the thing that motivates you most and makes you happy at work is working at something that you're really passionate about. The example I gave was that this person is really passionate about MRI of the foot. We can fulfill that, you know, this person's mission that they want to be the world's expert, you know, in foot MRI or, or, you know, provide new pulse sequences that show foot pathology and yet still find a correct niche for that person if we know that there are gaps of knowledge for which they can take that energy from the mission and apply it to a project. So um, missions and, and projects, are, I think, are two different things. Obviously, the project will support the mission, but the mission is the overriding thought that is driving that ambition, I think. Yeah. All right. So t- tell me how... I know there are people who may be listening to this and we, you and I, you and I see this kind of little bit of pushback sometimes with faculty and in, in our leadership programs. They say, I don't have time for this. I, I know what my expertise is. I, I interviewed to talk about the foot. I, you guys hired me because that is my area of expertise and you don't have it here. So it's obvious why I'm here. I'm going to be, you know, building this new center or this new service line on A, B, or C. So why do I have to take the time to develop a mission statement? This is such a waste of time. I have to hit the ground running as a new faculty member. This is, sounds like retreaty where we have to spend a weekend doing something and it's all going to just sit on a shelf somewhere. What is the argument to someone who's saying, or the counter to, to faculty who rightly or so, rightly so say, I don't have the time to think about this or develop a fancy mission statement. What do you say to that? Well, again, I, I think that Covey would say that the most important thing you do is develop a mission statement or, or to know what your mission is. That's the most critical thing that you do with your with your time because it sets the table for how you're going to prioritize your future uh, you know, use of your time. So, the you know, again, if I could just go through a cup the Covey model, you know, the first habit of highly effective people is being proactive. The second habit is, um, you know, is to create that mission. And the third habit is to put first things first. Mm-hmm. And the prioritization of your time is the most important thing that you do as a uh, effective faculty member. Um, wasting time by doing projects that are remote from your mission is not a good use of your time and in, inevitably leads to disgruntlement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I use the term quite often, Kim, about being mission-centric. Is this project mission-centric? Does mm-hmm. it support those things that you are most passionate about and you're trying to accomplish in your mm-hmm. uh, in your world? So I, I think that Rather than saying, I don't have time to work on a mission statement, I think, you know, that's the most important thing that you're doing is sort of knowing exactly what your role is in your world 
Mm-hmm. And then from that, you can do your time management and prioritization because yeah. obviously uh, for me, as as someone whose mission statement is to create leaders, if my chairman comes to me and say, hey, I want you to do a QA project over here to increase the speed at which the radiologists turn over the reports, that's eccentric to my mission. And I'm able to you know, identify that this is not going to advance the mission of creating leaders in the department and instead talk to the chairman about trying to find someone where this project, you know, adheres to Mike Kraut's program on quality assurance to ensure that you don't want him to do it. So being able to say no, again, uh, we've talked in the past about the importance of being able to say no. You say no to things that are mission eccentric. If you don't have a mission, then you can't say no to things because you don't know what your focus is. Does that make sense? Uh, It makes perfect sense. I love every time you explain that. I see light bulbs going off in the room, and it's just perfect because that's just another example of investing that time in the beginning will save a lot of heartache potentially and trouble and time and frustration on the back end where people say, I don't have time to do that. Well, you know what? Then you're going to end up in in a heck of a lot of trouble because if you're mission is just to, you know, generate revenue for the institution. It's so broad. It's so vague. It's, I want to be successful. I want to get promoted in six years. Then, yeah, you don't know what to say yes to or what to say no to because you just have a huge umbrella. Then you're like a puppy running around to, and everything excites you and interests you. And then you're a mile wide and an inch thick, an inch deep, you know? So I, I just love when you talk about this because it really sells the idea that, you know, you just invest a little bit of time up front and it will, it will pay on the long term. So talk with us about that long term because I know I, it was so funny. I was going through a drawer and I found my old mission statement and I pulled it out. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I actually, who knew I, I achieved those things? And it's funny how my, my mission did change over time by virtue of my being at a different institution, a different phase of my life, a different, you know, place in, in space in my career. So how do you see working with the hundreds of mentees over, over the years? How do you see those missions change? And what are the, you know, things that precipitate the changes? Yeah, I think, as I said, in, in the Covey world, it's sort of a five to 10 year time frame that in, in your career, these things may change because as you become more and more successful and there are other things that sort of come to interest you, um, clearly your mission might, might be changed. So I don't think that as an assistant professor or as a fellow in neuroradiology that I was thinking in terms of, uh, create leaders. That wasn't my mission. Um, At that point in my career, it was um, my mission was to define the role of MRI in head and neck cancer, and I was able to do lots and lots of projects and publish lots of papers on that to show what MR could do for head and neck cancer staging and treatment and um, preoperative planning. So yes, it, it does change over not a short period of time, but over the long period of time as you and your interests evolve. Um, that said, I think that a lot of times um, people think about the completion of a project as a point where they start thinking about changing their mission. Usually the themes of the mission are something that transcends 
even, you know, the five-year R01, it's, it's, you know, when you talk to someone like Zavar Bourgeois in, in research, you know, she wants to cure breast cancer or she wants to develop a vaccine for coronavirus. So that, that type of project, you know, eliminating viral contagions, for example, is something that clearly would span more than just uh, one grant. It, it's sort of the guide for one grant and then the follow-up R01 and the follow-up program project grant, et cetera. Right. So uh, in working with junior faculty, usually we're trying to create a mission statement that is one that transcends a larger scope of time that can go even from assistant to associate professor and maybe even to full professor. Okay. Well, You're talking about, and I always recall you do this in class in our leadership courses, how is this different from a vision? Because it sounds like you're describing, you know, when you would first maybe meet with a junior faculty member, you'd say, well, what is your vision for yourself? Or So how are mission and vision different or related? Yeah, so that's a good question. And and I may get this little blurred, and maybe I'll come back and ask you what your thoughts are about it. But you know, generally when we have, even when we talk about Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, we usually talk about mission, vision, and values. And they all are kind of interrelated. The mission is the overriding scope and view of what the focus of the institution is. From the mission, you can describe if I was tremendously successful, what would the world or the institution or my career uh, look like at a certain point of time? So that's more to me. That's more the the vision. But the the vision is based on mission and values, and and the vision is also you know the mission's based on in part on values. So they they do interconnect. But I tend to think of the mission as the overriding theme. The vision is that future view of this is what I'm trying to get to mm-hmm. if I was successful. So, do you have a different perspective on that? Can- I, I think I'm I'm really I'm right there with you. I I also think of the vision as what could be. So it's I almost think of it like a process and an outcome. Like the mission is my process as what I do to get to the outcome, which is the vision. And I, I also see that, think that that vision can change. You know, it's interesting. Now I'm thinking more about this. I mean, maybe the mission could stay the same, but the vision might change because depending on your frame or your lens with which you look at things or different data points or different information comes in, changes the vision of, oh, I thought we were going to look like this, but lo and behold, technologies or advances or certain social factors have made this to be that this is, this vision was incorrect or inadequate or different. So I think, yeah, to me, it's I, I'm almost thinking of it's a process outcomes kind of a thing. If my mission is to to build leaders or build community, I can do that thinking I, I'm going to have this vision of what this community might look like. But lo and behold, by by the time we get there over time, the vision, it could be bigger and broader, uh, but as long as we, I've adhered to my mission of building small communities of engagement, I mean, it could exceed, surpass our vision. So I don't know. We can get this whole philosophical debate, but I think I'm with you. 
Yeah, and and along the way, the way you do it, I think, is where the values come in. So if, you know, you value diversity, it's, uh, you know, bringing in people of different race, you know, gender, et cetera. If you value frugality, that you're going to do that mission on the least expensive way for society. If you value spirituality, then in achieving that vision, you're going to be pulling in, you know, religious overtones or you know, identity issues. So um, that that's where the third component, which is the values, helps you in how you're going to be accomplishing that right. mission and, and achieving that vision. That's right. And we that's why we incorporate values in our leadership programs at Hopkins, because as Tate Shanafelt, the burnout guru in academic medicine, says if you're not living a, a value um, driven life, you know, misaligned values will kill you if you're not living a life that's aligned with your values. So that's why we always encourage our faculty members to explore their personal values and see how the focus of their daily lives intersect with or completely opposite direction of the personal values. And that's where we got to worry if you're not spending any portion of your life engaged in things um, that are of value to you. Anything else on final notes or point on mission? You know, I, I go back to, you know, um, Covey's second habit. Begin with the end in mind. You know, have a vision, a mission statement, and have a vision of that product and what you're trying to accomplish. And when you have that, then the next step, which is time management, putting first things first is much, much easier. That's right. Love it. Great stuff, folks. I hope you have enjoyed um, learning from Dr. Dave Usum, our Associate Dean for Professional Development. You can read more about him on the Faculty Factory website. And any questions, you can always email me at facultyfactorykim at gmail.com. That's facultyfactorykim at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, Dave. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.